Hi, Simon Hill here. Enjoy our podcast. If you'd like to help us keep delivering the sort of quality football chat you want, then you can show your support by making a donation. Big or small, however much you can afford, we appreciate all your help and every cent will be ploughed back into improving production. Thanks in advance from all of us at Shim, Spider and so much more. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. So much more. Take it away, fellas. Yes, hello again. Welcome along for your weekly dose of Shim Spider and so much more. Another huge episode coming up with our special guest, Mark Viduka, and a review of the Asian Champions League success for Melbourne Victory. Joining me, as per usual, Jelko Kalatz and Craig Moore, who both got birthdays coming up. Spider on the 16th of December and Maury four days prior. Both are Sagittarius, a sign of the bow and arrow. And as such, as an archer, Sagittarians are said to never fail to hit the mark, alluding to the power of prophecy. So when you look into your crystal ball, guys, what do you see for football in 2021? Surely that's not a trick question. 2021 is <laughs> going to give us crowds. We're going to get crowds in 2021. Well, that's something. Uh, yeah. What else do you foresee, O oh, soothsayer Mate. spider? Look, I, I think the game uh, itself is going, to, is going to grow. I think people are going to be eager to get back to the stadiums and support their teams. Uh, hopefully in Australia, we will get the unbundling right and there'll be a lot more clubs leading into 2022. So 2021, big, big year to get 2022 off and running for Australian football. Maury? Yeah, um, hopefully new broadcast deal that, that secures the, the future of the, the Australian game uh, when we're speaking domestically. Uh, crowds, Spider, you touched on. We, we're going to see the crowds in certain parts of the world start to flow in. We've seen that in the UK recently. Uh, VAR, I would love to see the back of it, Simon, but yes, yes, I don't think that's <laughs> going to be the case. Okay, we shall see what happens. Uh, thanks, guys, for the moment. Let's get on with it. We'll kick off with hard talk. Hard talk. Hard Talk is brought to you by Stringate, which has been live streaming since 2008, specialising in custom-built stream pages, pay-per-view 
and multi-language streaming. They can cater to large online conferences with multiple simultaneous streams and destinations, including all social media channels servicing clients Australia-wide. Go to streamgate.com.au or you can find them on Instagram. Our thanks to Streamgate, great supporters of our podcast. Guys, let's kick off on a positive note of sorts. Congrats to Melbourne Victory for becoming the first Aussie team to make it through to the group stage in four years. A badly needed shot in the arm for the A-League. Now, unfortunately, Victory went down overnight in the round of 16, 3-0 to Ulsan. But uh, even so, it's great that we got a team out of the group finally after four years, guys. Yeah, I think they've done a great job to get out of the group, especially as we've touched on in previous pods. Uh, undermanned, underprepared. They were outclassed in the last game against Ulsan, but really, they've done a great job to get out. And I think it's a good thing for all clubs in Australia to realise now that we're going to start the season at the same time as the Asians, I think yeah. it'll give us a lot more opportunity to get through to the last 16 from now on. And I think as well, Spides, uh, just touching on Melbourne victory in particular, um, fantastic that they, they got to that latter stage. That's important for Australian clubs. Unfortunately, they go out to, uh, to Ulsan. But it was a very young Melbourne victory side. A lot of, lot of good young players getting um, invaluable experience, uh, Simon, that I think uh, will augur well um, for these players moving forward. So a better future, hopefully. Melbourne victory unlucky this time but it shows what can be done. And you can say the same thing for uh, Sydney and Perth as well, those younger players getting that experience on the big Asian stage. Unfortunately, I've only just learned this in the last 24 hours. Those results from Melbourne victory will not count towards our coefficient because the AFC Cup was was uh, uh, scrapped this year. They've done away with the points that would normally be awarded for getting through to the round of 16. So that doesn't help us. And we're still slipping behind, which is why, of course, next year, we've only got one uh, direct qualifier plus the, the two in the preliminary stage, which is unfortunate, isn't it? It is. It ends up being like... Um, uh, you've got one and a half spots, really, I think, is, is where we're at um, with, unfortunately, the, the lack of um, results at, the, at this particular level. So, look, we've got some work to do, Simon. Um, but again, if we can sort our game out, um, the reset happens and... and I think that there is a bright future ahead for Australian football. Being competitive in the AFC is very important for our success. We'll uh, we'll come on to that reset shortly. Just before we end uh, the Champions League chat, uh, Ange Postacoglu's Yokohama F Marinos, of course, they take on Suwon in the round of 16 on uh, Tuesday morning. That's before... Uh, or uh, before this podcast, or sorry, after this podcast has been recorded. Uh, could he add the Champions League to the J-League crown, do you think? Is he, has he got a, a shot at doing that, Spide? Look, I've watched a lot of these games. Uh, his brand of football is fantastic. Uh, mm. They're playing really well. I, I actually think he really has a shot of winning the, the title. Uh, the big guns, the big guns, obviously, the Chinese teams, I see a lot of unrest there, except for one. Beijing Guan, they look like a happy team who are playing fantastic football. So I think one of those two can can win it, definitely. Uh, Shanghai SIP, I, I think it looks like unrest there with Hulk. And Shanghai Shenhua, I just don't think they're good enough. No, I don't think they are either, Spides. But you know what I've loved about, I've seen a comment recently from, from Ange Postacoglu, and I still think that, you know, through parts of Asia, they don't really appreciate the, the Asian Champions League. Whereas Ange Postacoglu has come out and says, why, why would you disrespect 
90 minutes of, of football. Every 90 minutes of football that you can potentially get gives you an opportunity to, to learn, develop and improve. And he was suggesting that comment, you know, towards the, the AFC. So I think if we can get around that, um, then we can create a, a better feel around about the Asian Champions League, which, to be fair, hasn't been fantastic over the years. And, and I think, Maury, you hit the nail on the head there. I think if the prize money starts going up and we start to appreciate, like the European Champions League, if we make the Asian Champions League like that and the prize money goes up for these clubs, I'm sure they will appreciate it more and more. A part of that uh, is, of course, the new revamped FIFA Club World Cup, which will uh, uh, elevate the Champions League in terms of importance. Unfortunately, that's uh, not going to happen in the new format in 2022. COVID has uh, seen to that. China were due to host it. So uh, we're going to be stuck in Japan for uh, another 12 months with the old format. But uh, hopefully after that, uh, the money starts to flow in. Big, big opportunity for Australian clubs uh, if they can get through the Asian Champions League. Talking of Asia, guys, in January, we will have celebrated 15 years as a member of uh, the AFC. Boy, that's gone quickly, hasn't it? Um, have we made the most of that long-awaited opportunity? It was something that Australia had wanted for so many years. Maury? Um, we, the report card for me, Simon, says we can do better. Um, and, and by that, I think that we, we probably should have been in a position where we'd introduce more Asian possibilities to our league, which potentially could have brought uh, new commercial partners uh, to our game. I think the thing that has held us back, if I'm being honest, in Asia is our arrogance uh, and the way that we're perceived. Um, so I think if we can work on that and, and be... Uh, I don't know. Be a little bit more humble, Simon. Be what, a little bit what do you mean by arrogance, Maury? Well, we've, whenever you speak to people in Asia, there, there is a perception of the Australians being very arrogant towards, um, towards Asian football. Uh, and it probably doesn't stem from the club stuff, if I'm being honest. It's more to do with the international side of games. But it's something that um, man, I've not heard once. I've heard time and time and time again. So we've got a lot of work to do to improve those relationships. And I think once we can achieve that, we've got a huge future in Asia. Mr. Lowy, going back all those years, he had the crystal ball. Um, I, I feel as if we're in the right place, but we can do better. Okay. In terms of uh, the domestic league, the A-League, and its long-awaited independence, um, another deadline came and went last week. Is this going to happen before the season starts? I'll take us back to the, the quote from James Johnson, the CEO of the FFA, if we don't get it done before the start of the season, we may as well not bother. It's getting pretty close, Spider. It's a, it's a month away. It's less than a month away, less. three weeks away. <laughs> Unless they've got a little uh, you know, rabbit under the hat that they're about to pull out to surprise everyone and maybe come up with a big wham for, for the start of the season. Uh, it could be possible. I, I don't know. I, I think we're getting on tight lines. But what, what potentially, Simon, I'll ask you, what, what is the hold-up? I wish I knew. <laughs> I genuinely have no idea, and I don't think many people do. I know it's obviously been a very tense negotiation uh, between all the different stakeholders. I would imagine that money is probably at the heart of that. I don't think that's exclusively the reason. Um, and I think there's a lot of legal complexities in terms of separating out a league uh, from the governing body, but uh, goodness me, it should have been done by now. I mean, we've we've been go with they had an in principle agreement, <clears throat> excuse me, as long ago as July 2019. 
and here we are in December 2020, and we're still going. And, and every couple of months, we have a new deadline. We're going to be independent by August. We're going to be independent by October. It's going to be the end of November. And, and still we're waiting. It's, it's very, very frustrating. And of course, all the while that the league is, is not independent, the clubs are sort of on hold. Um, you know, they're waiting, as they say, for the keys to the car so they can drive it away and, you know, hopefully take it to a better destination. But um, it's got to happen soon. Anyway, we'll, uh, we'll wait. We've been waiting a long time. We continue to wait. I think I was clean shaven when we started the wait. Um, <laughs> just on the domestic game, it confirmed this week as well that the FFA Cup winner or whatever it's going to be called uh, is going to earn a slot in the Champions League preliminary round, which is a great carrot potentially, not just for the A-League, of course, but for the MPL teams as well. Um, an open draw, a standalone final. These are the proposals. Uh, potentially a neutral venue, maybe Canberra, maybe somewhere else. What do we think of all that? I love, I love that idea. That, that's the one thing I really do love. The only thing that I'm a little bit sceptical and I'm a bit wary about is that the MPL clubs don't go silly and start spending ridiculous money to, to play a big part in that because that could actually send the MPL clubs backwards. Yeah, but I love, I love the idea of like FFA Cup final, FA Cup final, Canberra, Simon, I love that. I love that idea, um, having a, an actual venue for these finals so, so it doesn't change from season to season, year to year. Um, and I think it's let's be clear to the listeners because I spoke to to Peter Philopoulos at the at the FFA because I'd seen a tweet that he put out uh, during the week. Just it, because of our, our coefficient points, it will be half a spot. Yeah, so that means obviously right. still there's a qualifying process to actually get to a Champions League stage. So I think it's just to be clear to the listeners who maybe don't understand that. That's right. Um, full crowds should be back for the start of the A-League season. The grounds are going to be open, uh, which is great to hear that the fans will be back. Um, should the league be setting KPIs in this regard? I, I don't know what you think, but I'd, I'd quite like the, the A-League clubs to sort of try and challenge themselves a little bit and say, you know what, this year we're going to aim for an 11,000 average. Whether they reach it or not, who knows? But it'd be good for them to actually start to challenge themselves a little bit and say, we've got to get bums back on seats. Do you agree? I, I agree. And I, I don't think why it can't happen because if I've I, I seen the question that you wrote uh, in the rundown for us and I went through all the clubs and I actually think they can get them because if you have a look, they, they realistically, they can, get, they can achieve that 11,000. If we play at boutique stadiums, like we seen last year with Sydney, they played at Cogra Jubilee and every game they had 12, 13,000, 14,000 in a capacity of 17 or 18. So it, it's doable. 100% it's doable. Absolutely. Yeah. And I agree, Simon. I think like whether it's the actual bums on seats or more the KPIs of, of memberships. Yeah, like so, I mean, there's no reason why clubs can't have 10,000 members. Uh, and that's every, that's every club. I mean, I was at Turf Moor at the weekend, which is just under 22,000. Um, and even if you had 10, 12, 13,000, it would be unbelievable. So there's no reason why A-League clubs can't get 10,000 members across the line. Well, Brisbane Raw should uh, certainly be able to fill uh, Dolphin Stadium at Redcliffe, capacity of about uh, 10,000. 
Uh, story in the Queensland press this week, Maury. I'll come to you on this one. Of course, we know that Brisbane have taken all their home games to Dolphin Stadium. They're now training on the Gold Coast. Their former coach, Miron Blyberg, um, quite controversial comments saying that uh, Brisbane's move has taken the game in the state back 30 years and he's calling for a second Brisbane team to play central. I don't know whether that means that Miron might be involved in that, but uh, I'm not sure I agree with that totally. I think Dolphin Stadium is, is a terrific venue and arguably in terms of atmosphere, well, not even arguably, it's much better than Suncorp. I know it's a fair way out, but you're from that yeah. part of the world. Well, well, I am. And uh, look, I've known Miron for, for a long, long time. And, uh, you know, we've gone back and forwards a little bit. Um, he's, he's out there, let's be honest. Uh, but even when I was working at Brisbane, Simon, I've always felt a second team in Brisbane mm. um, is a great thing for the league. Because I don't believe Brisbane Raw um, have, have moved forward in the manner that, that we know that they could have. They had a fantastic uh, opportunity on the, on the back of huge success. And I actually believe another Brisbane club will keep them honest and more importantly, will make them improve. Um, so we'll I, give them I a derby game as well. A hundred percent. I mean, you know, don't worry. Look, they've moved to the Gold Coast. So I feel sorry for the fans uh, in terms of their training's moved to the Gold Coast. The game's now at, at Dolphin Over, which is a great setup. I've got to say, I've really enjoyed watching the games there because it creates an atmosphere. But a second team in Brisbane, even when I was working at Brisbane Raw, I think is a, is a good thing for the league. Okay. Uh, what about a team in, in Wollongong, Spider? Wellington Phoenix are going to play their home matches there because, of course, they have to be uh, in the hub. Will the locals turn up to watch uh, the Knicks? Is this an opportunity, particularly with the wonderful Wynn Stadium down there in, in the southern part of New South Wales, to say, look, we, we deserve a team here? Look, I definitely think they will turn up. I think it's a great venue. Uh, Wollongong have always supported their teams, so they've always had crowds. Now having the possibility of having an A-League club playing out of there, I'm sure they'll jump on board. I think, it, I think it's a great, great opportunity for Wellington and a great opportunity for the Wollongong people to show that they can have a team in the A-League. Super setup up uh, at Wynn Stadium. Um, just one more before we move overseas. It's sort of overseas anyway, but it's a, an Aussie coach. We had him on the podcast just a couple of weeks ago, Kevin Muscat. Um, unfortunately, maybe we jinxed him a little bit. He was sacked this week by St. Troyden in Belgium. Just two wins in 14 games. Uh, Maury is, you know Muskie pretty well. Is he going to stay over in Europe and look for another shot or, or will he head back to Australia? There is a gig uh, available, of course, at Newcastle if he was interested. Uh he won't be coming back to Oz. Um, right. Look, I mean, absolutely gutted for, for, for Muskie, but as we know, um, the only currency in Europe is results, Simon. Um, and unfortunately, um, you know, for Muskie, the, the last two games in particular uh, against teams below him, um, you know, had a draw and had a, had a loss. And um, like I says, business is business over here. But you know what? I'm convinced uh, that, that Muskie will go on and, and learn from the experience and go on and be a great coach. You need a little bit of luck when you go into these clubs. Uh, and unfortunately, those draws didn't turn into wins. Um, but mate, he'll dust himself down and be back on it. But I don't see that being back in Australia. It is a brutal business, isn't it, uh, football coaching? Thanks for the moment, guys. Let's head overseas then, shall we? London Calling. London Calling. Well, before we uh, head to London, let's start in Barcelona. Spider, more trouble for Barca, beaten by Cadiz in La Liga. And last week, 
Leo Messi, I, I find this extraordinary that, that football's power brokers do not understand this. They fined Leo Messi $700 for revealing a Newell's Old Boys shirt after he scored against Osasuna in tribute to Diego Maradona. I mean, goodness me, where are our priorities in this game? Ridiculous, ain't it? Uh, he's he's honouring one of the greatest footballers ever to play uh, after scoring a goal. He's childhood hero and he gets a fine. Like, absolute ridiculous. Um, but, look, that's the governance of the game at the moment, ain't it? $700, it won't hurt uh, Messi, but it's just ridiculous. As for Barcelona losing to Cadiz, it happens in football. It's been happening quite a lot lately, which we've spoken about. But I will remind you that Barcelona had about 32 shots on goal. It was one of those nights where it just would not go in. Twice, they're, they're 12 points. They're 12 points off top of the table, though. Um, and I know, you know, even now, to be sitting in ninth position at this stage of the year, um, a lot of work to be done at Barcelona. And potentially, we've been speaking for a little while now, um, <laughs> It's a changing of the guard, isn't it? It really is, because who knows what's going to happen with you next year? Well, just on that, I mean, that the new, the incoming president has, has uh, caused ructions within his own club. Ronald Koeman, in particular, not happy with the fact that he said we should have sold Messi uh, during the off-season last year. And again, it sort of hints that all is still not well behind the scenes with, uh, with Messi and Barcelona. No, well, that's quite clear for everyone to see. Uh, they've, they've got a big match against Juventus now in the Champions League. They're going to go through in the Champions League. But in the, in the league itself, uh, very poor at the moment. And probably a lot of it's got to do with motivation as well, Maury. I mean, you know, they, they play these big Champions League matches. They come back and they play someone like Cadiz. They think they're going to win easy. These teams are prepared for this one-off match. Rest a few players, blah, blah, blah. Many shots on goal. Ball won't go in. It's just happening all over Europe, not just the Barcelona, but the Messi thing is a real big saga for them. Good to see uh, former Manchester City striker Alvaro Negredo get, uh, get the winner. I remember him from his days at the Etihad Stadium. Uh, just on Maradona, um, uh, kudos to Napoli, who've renamed their stadium after one of the greatest players to ever play the sport. A fitting tribute to Diego. Uh, before we get to the Premier League, uh, Gianni Infantino speaking out this week, Maury, backing the use of VAR, saying, and I quote, it is not damaging football, and says, sometimes it's used in the wrong way. Spare me, please. Are they not taking the temperature of football fans here? Yeah, can we talk about the Premier League? <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Gianni Infantino, I mean, look, this is, this is the problem. When you have... Um, the majority of the football community um, saying that they're not happy with what they're seeing in the VAR um, scenarios within football matches. Simon, you, got to, you have to listen to the fans, you have to listen to the players, and you have to listen to the coaches. And it's not been good. I'm sitting watching a game uh, thinking, when, the way that the game's going, do we actually need linesmen now? Is that, is that going to be another thing there? Like now when you've got all the technology and all that sort of stuff, do you need a linesman other than standing in between a, a skirmish? Do you need a linesman to say it's a throw into A or B or it's oh, offside? Ha hang on a minute. What's a skirmish? That's a Scottish word, isn't it? Yeah, well, you know, maybe the argy-bargy uh, separating players. <laughs> but, I mean, I'm thinking, well, we, we need to... There's certain parts of the game that you cannot change. It's tradition. It's what we love. It's what fans were brought 
brought up with. And I just, Gianni Infantino is, is severely lacking the, that, the point here, really. Mm. This is the politicians actually making excuses for the rubbish that they've brought in. It doesn't improve the game, those sports. I, mate, you're telling me, mate. It needs to go. Well, and they're not they're, linesmen, Maury. They're assistant referees. Yeah, they've been renamed. Um, yes. I think we're all on the same page there. But uh, some, of course, uh, listening today will disagree. That's fair. Everybody has the right to an opinion. Um, let's move to England then. Fans back inside the stadiums uh, in England. Well, a few of them anyway. Up to 2,000 in Tier 2. Manchester United's game at West Ham was the first game to host supporters. My question, is it a bit early? Maury, you're over in the UK at the moment. I don't know what the situation is in Scotland, but I mean, in, in the UK as a whole, there's still up to 15,000, 16,000 new positive COVID cases every day. Um, w would you be going to a game? I know you do, you do go to games because you're paid to go, but if you were a fan, would you be going to games in the current situation? Is it too soon or not? At 100%, I'd be going. I mean, look, is it too soon? I mean, look, I'm, I'm not being blasé when it comes to, to health health and safety, obviously. I mean, in Scotland, uh, up north in the, the lesser tiers, Simon, it's, I think it's 300 fans are, are allowed in. Uh, down south, obviously, tier two, 2,000 supporters. And with the with the process and protocols that are in place and the social distance, distancing. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. there's a lot worse scenarios in other parts of life that we're dealing with on day to day. Um, so look, it doesn't overly concern me. Um, hopefully like I said, we'll get to see more and more at the right time, but because health and safety is the most important thing here. All right. Uh, Spider, um, in terms of the top of the Premier League, uh, wins for Chelsea, 3-1 over Leeds and uh, Spurs, defeating Arsenal, Arsenal in all sorts at the moment. Are, are we set for a title race that perhaps doesn't involve um, the so-called big two, Liverpool, Manchester City this year? Are Chelsea and Spurs going to scrap it out for the crown? Well, look, I, I didn't watch a Spurs game because uh, there's a million games on today. I watched Chelsea. They were outstanding. Uh, I, hey, by the way, Man United are right up there. Huh? Hmm. They're, yeah, they're, they're scarily just... Like plotting away, but they are still massive contenders this year. Man City, massive contenders. Liverpool absolutely battered Wolves tonight, and they they were hot again. Tottenham are a very good side. Uh, look, I have no idea which way the title is going to go. Honestly, there's some teams when you watch them play week to week. Sometimes they play really good, and the next time you watch them play, they they're just toilet. But the idea is getting results when you don't play so so good. And that's what these teams are doing. And it's very tight at the moment. Yeah, Spurs and Liverpool have been the, they've been the most consistent. I don't know how, how much um, with the, the injuries that Liverpool have had, Spides, yeah. um, and, the, and the way that they're still performing, in terms of mentally, how that may impact 
other clubs because they probably felt that maybe they had a chance to, to get a little bit of a lead on, on Liverpool with the, the injury situation. But I tell you what, Liverpool just keep going from strength to strength. Players come in, new people tested um, and, and, and still getting results. But Spurs were, Spurs were very good, um, very efficient. You know, Mourinho 2-0 up, doesn't need to chase the game after that. Arsenal have been hit and miss. Man United, as you touched on, excellent. Away, or undefeated in the Premier League away from home this season. Nine consecutive away wins, Maury. Yeah. And Bruno Fernandes scoring in his sixth consecutive away game. He's the first United player to do that since 1964. And they're developing a bit of a, a pattern, aren't they? They fall behind away from home, but they've got the, the mental resolve to come back and win. Are, are they genuine contenders, in, in your opinion? Look, You're looking a bit dubious. Okay. Yeah, no, look, I don't know. Again, because we all keep kind of, I guess, you know, saying that things are not happening for Manchester United. But as Spider said, they're, they're in a they're in a good position. Um, Bruno Fernandes is an excellent player, and I think he's been a wonderful um, acquisition for, for Man United. Pogba come on also and starting to show a little bit more, Simon, a little bit more. So, look, Ole, Ole to be fair, Gunnar Solskjaer still making errors. I think he made an error during the week in the Europa, uh, sorry, the Champions League, um, with not taking Fred off. Um, you can't make those mistakes, but Man United are doing okay. Yeah, yeah. Made it made a similar yeah. error at the weekend as well, leaving uh, Fernandez and Rashford on the bench. But uh, when he brought them on second half, boy, did they change the game around! And what a goal that was from uh, Paul Pogba as well, goal of the weekend for me. All right, uh, thanks guys for the moment. Let's move on to our final segment today. Really looking forward to this one. Footballers' lives, and we have another huge guest waiting for us. Footballers' lives. Well, our guest today was born in Melbourne in 1975, and he grew up wanting to play for the Melbourne Knights. He did just that, and so much more besides. He was already an NSL champion when he left Australia to play for Dinamo Zagreb in 1995, and he went on to have a stellar career with Celtic, Leeds United, Middlesbrough, and Newcastle United, scoring well over 200 goals in a 16-year career. He represented Australia on 43 occasions, scoring 11 goals, and of course, famously captain the Socceroos at the World Cup in Germany in 2006. These days, he divides his time between Croatia and Australia, and he's been good enough to join us on the pod today. We're absolutely delighted to have Mark Viduka with us. Good to see you, Dukes. How are you? Good, guys. Nice to see you guys as well. How is life in Croatia running the coffee shop? Well, at the moment, uh, they've closed everything down. So there's no coffees, there's no takeaway coffees and stuff like that. And so we're having a bit of a break. So what are you doing with your time apart from doing podcasts with us? <laughs> I, I, I drink a lot of coffee, to be honest, <laughs> obviously. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. Um, well, let's let's move away from coffee and uh, start all the way back with your early days uh, with the Melbourne Knights or, or your early days as a child in Melbourne. Uh, football, I know, is a big part of your life and, and you were a Melbourne Knights fan. Um, were you steeped in the game fr from as early as you can remember through through your family? Yeah, I mean, for, for me, it was, uh, <clears throat> I think, from the first time my, my dad took me to a Melbourne-Croatia game at the time, uh, 
I, that's all I can remember really. I was, I was pretty young, maybe four or five years old. And um, we used to go every week um, and we followed them religiously. Um, and from, I just, I think from, from day one, I, I knew I, I wanted to play football, you know, whether I was going to succeed or not was a different thing. <clears throat> Do you remember your debut in the NSL when you'd signed for the Melbourne Knights? You, I think it was against the, the Preston Lions, according to Kyrie on Twitter. Wants to know if you remember it. Uh, no, my first game was actually, I was at the AIS and I came the, year, the season before that. I played against the Adelaide Sharks. And I had a hair, hair, had haircut a like hair. this yeah. as well. <laughs> uh, but that was my first, my first full game was for the, against Preston um, at their ground. And uh, I remember I, sc I scored two goals that game. So, of course, I remember it. The start of Manny. Um, yeah. th those days with, with the Knights and, and winning the NSL title in 1995, I mean... It, that was a team that it doesn't get remembered an awful lot in Australia, but it was full of quality players, yourself included. Yeah, we had a, you know, we had a really young squad, first of all. I mean, uh, the, the year before that, uh, there was a lot of older players that were in the team and really good players, you know, like George Hanna, Theo Salamides, um, you know, there was Vaughan Coveney, uh, uh, Ivan Kerlich and players like that. And uh, Mirko Bazic came from overseas and um, he, for some reason, he wanted young players in and then he started looking for local young players and, uh, you know, brought in Danny Tiaro from Werribee, which Werribee was in the, you know, second division uh, or the state league at that time. Um, you know, gave more airtime to players like Adrian Savinsky, myself, uh, uh, Steve Horvat, also he was young uh, Frank Urich, the goalkeeper. Um, and we were a young, young squad at the time. Nobody really knew whether we'd do well or not. But for some reason, you know, Mirko Bazic put, a, put us together and um, we gelled really, really well. And uh, first, firstly, I, I, th I think we were a really good uh, bunch of guys, mates off the field. And secondly, on the field, we, we worked hard for each other. Your Croatian heritage, of course, saw you, you sign after you, you left the Melbourne Knights. And there was a lot of speculation, a, a lot of interest in your services back in those days. But you, you ultimately signed for, for Dinamo Zagreb. Um, I, I remember reading that the, the president of Croatia himself wanted you there. Um, how did that, all that come about? Well, yeah, I mean, I, I had an offer at the time from uh, Borussia Dortmund. I, I, was, uh, I was actually about to sign a contract with them. And uh, we, we, we just won the title with, with Melbourne Knights in, in Adelaide. And uh, I, was, uh, I was waiting for the end of the season to, to sign this deal and, and go, go there. And uh, what happened was I was at training, I think it was, and one of my friends uh, from, from this Croatian uh, political thing uh, called me up and he said the president's in Melbourne he wants to have a have a lunch with you and your parents and I thought I mean that was for us was a huge thing at the time Croatia was just you know it was in war and uh, it was uh, you know it was, it was a big moment for Croatia in history because they were you know um, what is it called the, the sorry I'm thinking in Croatian at the moment they um, 
that they were, they were sort of in the in the stage of you know uh, setting up a new country and uh, you know from nothing and it was very exciting for the Croatian community down in Australia as well and um, so he came we came to this meeting and uh, you know he said that he, he he was setting up this club you know from Dinamo Zagreb that he wanted he wanted to promote Croatia in the world and that and he wanted me to go and, and play there. And, and at the time, it was very difficult for me to say say no to you know to, to <laughs> like that. <laughs> you basically had no choice. What I'm talking about. <laughs> you basically had no choice. You said, "Okay, I'll come and play for you." <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I mean, but yeah. Dukes, how how in terms of that? I mean, we know the the preparation that you that you had at the AIS, and and also. Uh, the game time, obviously, with the the knights. But how much pressure for you with your with your background to go to a very uh, a very big club, knowing that you you you're going to have to produce? Was there a lot of pressure? Did you think about that at that young age? Uh, to be honest, not really. I mean, at that stage, I was uh, you know, as as when you're a youngster, you don't see the negatives, do you? You know, you just see the positives. You're looking at the situation in uh, you know with totally different eyes, as uh, you know, compared to when you when you get older and you go through all these things. But you know, I went there, you know, you know, full of energy. I just came, you know, I was top scorer in Australia. I was player of the year, and we won the title. So it was you know a really really I was buzzing at the time and I didn't think of the negatives that can happen, you know, in those sort of situations, you know, as you know, it's very, it's very difficult for anybody. And I think that's a huge test for any player is, uh, you know, when a club pays a lot of money for you and you've got to perform. It's a very, very big test. Dukes, you won league titles with Dinamo Zagreb, but fair to say by the end of your spell with Dinamo Zagreb, um, things had turned a little bit. So I think the fans got on your back a bit as well, didn't they? Yeah, it was... Uh, things changed uh, after three, three and a half years I was there. Things changed a little bit in the situation. Uh, you know, it's very difficult to explain the situation in Croatia on one podcast. So <laughs> I think you'll need a whole bloody uh, six months of talking to, to explain the situation. <laughs> But uh, the thing is that, um, uh, you know, it got to the stage where, um, you know, I think I needed a change from here. You know, I, I loved living here. Living here is, a, you know, Croatia is one of the most beautiful places in the world to live and a lifestyle and, and, and here is, you know, a second to none really. But when you're involved in football, it's totally different. You know, football's run in a totally different way than it, than it is in the UK, for example. You know, there's, uh, if you see all the different, you know, the corruption here and all that in football and, you know, you can't compare it to the UK or Australia and things like that. So in, in those times, you know, the fans started getting on my back. I think I got a hard time from a lot of the journalists at the time, uh, you know, they were, they were using the president's unpopularity, you know, they were, you know, making stuff up as journalists sometimes do. No offense. <laughs> but um, but uh, in the end, it was, it was a situation where I would, I, I'd scored a goal in the, in the derby against Hayduk Split, you know, full stadium, you know, 30, 40,000 people. And my own fans after scoring a goal in a derby were booing me. So, and then, then, then I started realizing, you know, this isn't about football anymore. You know, it's about, uh, it's about, 
more than that, you know. You'd often said that uh, in the in the past that you, the UK wasn't really to your liking in terms of the style of football, but you ended up going to the UK and staying there really the, the rest of your your football career. You signed for Celtic uh, initially and had two prolific seasons there. Why did you choose Celtic specifically? I, don't, I think Celtic chose me, to be honest, <laughs> in the end. You know, we, we played a... Uh, we played a, a Champions League qualifier here for Dinamo Zagreb against Celtic, and we we beat them in it. So we qualified for the Champions League ahead of them. And over two legs, I I, pl- I played really well. Um, and uh, after that, they came into the club and they wanted to. They you know they made an offer for me. So that was the um, that was how it came about. But having said that, as a kid, I always uh, was a Celtic fan. You know, like in Scottish football, I was, uh, you know, because of my Catholic background and stuff like that, my, my dad said, you know, out of the two clubs in Scotland, you've got to go for Celtic, you know. Luke, you kept that one quite at AMS. <laughs> <laughs> Did I? <laughs> <laughs> Dukes, you, you played alongside some great players at, at Celtic, Henrik Larsson, Eil Berkovic, Stylian Petrov, um, but you couldn't quite win the title in your in your two years with Celtic. Rangers were a, a bit too good. And I've got a, a Twitter question here from somebody called 92 Stroke 93. And he wants to know if Maury's challenge on you when you were clean through on goal in the March 2000 Old Firm game was the best tackle you ever received. <laughs> I don't know if you remember that uh, one, either yeah, of you. Guys, guys, I spent two years at the AAS with Craig Moore, so that was nothing compared to some of the tackles we got at training. <laughs> Do you remember that one, Maury? Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we actually we spoke about it. Simon, we spoke about it uh, last week. It was, uh, mate, it was a horrible night, Dukes, which normal Scottish nights uh, can be, yeah. The wind, the, the rain, it was very wet mm. um, and, and hugely competitive as uh, the old firm games always are. Yeah. Did you enjoy playing yeah, in those games, Sir Dukes? I bet you did. Oh, like, can I tell you something? I mean, there's been so many rumours going around and to be honest, I haven't really commented on, on any of that since I left Scotland. But, you know, I loved, I loved living in Scotland. I loved uh, the people there. The people there were fantastic. I mean, me and my, my wife, uh, you know, we've, we, we had su- such a good time over there. And uh, um, the Celtic fans are crazy. I mean, they're crazy. They're, they're some of the best fans in the world. The, I, I would say the old firm de- uh, derby is, if, if not one of the biggest, if not the biggest derby in, in Europe, definitely. I mean, uh, you can't compare that, you know, because uh, there's there's a, there's a huge history there, and there's also religion that fuels fuels a lot of it as well. So, you know, playing in that game, I mean, uh, basically for ninety minutes, you cannot communicate with your with your other players, you know, because it is so loud the whole time. Um, but but you know, it was a pleasure. I, I really enjoyed Celtic for me. Uh, in, in my time of uh, when I was there, it was uh, it was very very badly run at the time. You know, when I got there, Joe Venglosh uh, was there. Then they brought in John Barnes. Then they brought in uh, Kenny Dalglish. And then after that, it was um, 
who was who was after that? I think it was uh, a, another local coach. There was to, so in, in the space of a year and a half, we had four or five managers, and the the the, the team atmosphere was no good. You know, if you're if you're in um, if you're in uh, uh, you know Glasgow, if you're one of the two old firm teams, second is like last. You know. Hmm. And you know, Maury's been on the end of uh, you know the press and all that. If you're if you're coming second in in Glasgow, it's not a pretty place to be, you know. Mm-hmm. And it's not it's not about it's not about that. It, that. That's all fine. But I, you know, obviously I, I didn't I could I couldn't see it, you know, getting better at the time when I was there, you know. But you know, thankfully uh, O'Neill came in later on and uh, he did a great job, and and I'm happy. And and I love Celtic, and I love you know. My kids are Celtic fans as well, and we, we follow follow them as much as we can. So, you, and, you, and you know, and I think I think to be honest, it, it, a lot of times I've been unfairly criticised because in the year and a half there, I was top scorer and player of the year. So, it's a little bit, you know, something that still eats away a little bit because well, of you that. Know, you know, you know, you know why? Because the thing is that I think football. If you've if you've been involved with football, people are so emotionally involved with their clubs. You know, it's like when they lose a, a player who's done well or something, they get uh, they get upset. It's like when you you know break up with your missus or something. You know, <laughs> <laughs> that's well, a good analogy, Dukes. Well done. You, you had another no, it's couple. True. Of, it's true. Yeah. And you then and then what happened? What happened with this thing in uh, in in? I went to Leeds and then and then uh, David O'Leary did an interview saying uh, that I was only tested to 70 percent of my ability, and then that that that. That went into Scotland, saying that I only played, you know, that I did that interview, saying that I only played seventy percent of my ability. Which, you know, if I played seventy percent of the, my ability and, and I ended up being player of the year, then what were the other players playing in? <laughs> you've uh, you've segued nicely for us, uh, Dukes, into your time at Leeds. You, you signed there in two thousand for David O'Leary. Uh, your first season, again, you're pretty prolific. Twenty-two goals, uh, including a famous, very famous game against Liverpool where you scored all four in a, in a 4-3 classic at uh, Ellen Road. I know you played a heck of a lot of fantastic games, but that's got to be up there amongst the best, hasn't it? Everybody asks me this question. Everybody <laughs> asks me this question. It is. It, obviously, it's got to be up the best. But I'm telling you honestly, I came off that pitch and I thought I wasn't happy with my outside out play, you know, like... I wasn't happy with the receiving, wasn't happy with dribbling, wasn't happy with holding it up. Those things I wasn't happy with, you know, and, I, and I've played in games a hundred times better and I never got a sniff on goal, you know, and that's yeah. football for you. You, you, go, you, go, you go out there and you don't know what's going to happen. You, you know, you, you go out to, you know, thinking that the, it's the best, you know, that, that everything's going to come off well, but, and then sometimes it doesn't. This game, I got four sniffs at goal and, Every one of them went in, you know. But you were just Some in that groove as a striker, weren't you, in that particular game that you look at the chances and some of them weren't easy chances, but you were, you were so good technically that, uh, and so in that zone at that moment that you were able to finish all four. Yeah, but that's what I said. Sometimes you wake up, you know, and your head's hurting you in the morning, you know. <laughs> you know, the southerly wind's hitting you in the head and you're thinking, my God, what sort of a day is it going to be? And then sometimes you wake up. And actually that day, I had, I, I had a shocking sleep because my missus kept ringing me up all night. I was in the, I was in the, the um, what's it called? The, uh, we were in a, a hotel in Leeds, 
with Danny Milosevic, I was in the room. At three o'clock in the morning, our, the dog started barking. And my missus rings both of us, wakes us both up. And she goes, and that was, mind you, it was an 11 o'clock kickoff in the morning, right? <laughs> our pre-match was at seven. <laughs> and so she rings up twice in the morning, once, once at three and once at probably four or five, you know? And, I, and at the, last, the second time when she rang up, I said, if I have a shock, I'm going to kill you. <laughs> <laughs> so the following week, you got her to call you at four and five in the morning again. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> Go on, Maureen. Dukes, your, your, your time obviously leads. That was a very exciting team. We're, we're, we're great to watch, uh, mate. But I've also had a couple of conversations with you and, and asked... Um, from January onwards in seasons, you always seem to be on fire. Goals used to flow then. Um, explain to the listeners, because you've explained to me a few times the reasons why. Because his contract was coming up. <laughs> from January. I, hold on. I don't know which explanation I gave you, Digger. Mate, well, you, you, you said it took you a little bit longer than the normal person to get to full fitness. That, was, that, was that something yeah, maybe? Yeah, that's, that's, it. Yeah, that, that's true. That's true. No, yeah, because it took me a long... I, I, I wasn't feeling properly fit until, like, November time. Honestly, yeah. it took me that long to get match fitness because the most important thing in, as footballers would know is match fitness. You know, you can train all until the cows come home, but if you're not match fit, it's difficult. And so what happens is to be able to uh, uh, go through that 90 minutes and, and at a really high um, intensity and feel okay afterwards, you know? And it always took me a longer amount to do that. For, I don't know, because I was, I don't know, digger or whatever. I don't know, I don't know why, but I, I didn't feel good up until about November-ish time, you know? Interesting. Um, Dixie, you had some interest from AC Milan reportedly in 2001, but the move didn't happen. Is, is that a club you'd have liked to have played for? You might have played alongside Spider at some stage in the, in the future. Um, why yeah. didn't it happen? And, and is that a bit of a regret for you or not? You know what? It's difficult to say regret. I mean, I think things happen because they have to happen. You know, I don't think it's something where, you know, I, I don't know how, how you can how you can regret. I don't think I regret it. When I came to Leeds, that first season, we had such a really, really you know, good season. We were in the Champions League semi-final and all that sort of stuff. And they, were, they wanted to re-sign me on a new deal after the first thing. Peter Ridsdale wanted to re-sign me on the thing because I had a lot of interest from other clubs. You know, and AC Milan was, was one of them who were very interested because I, I know um, I'm quite good with Boban, Zvonimir Boban. And through him, uh, they had approached me. And uh, uh, so, so they, they were sort of, uh, you know, they were really, really serious. But then what happened was Ridsdale put on a huge price tag. I don't know. It was over 30 million. I don't, I don't even remember. I think it was 38. I, I don't even know how much. He put a huge price tag on my head because he didn't want to sell me. And they wanted to offer me a new deal. And to be honest... At the time, I just moved from, from Glasgow down, uh, you know, I got settled into a, a house and all that sort of stuff. I really wasn't in the mood for, for moving either, you know, and I enjoyed it. And I thought, you know, Leeds, Leeds is a club that I, I really enjoyed living up in Yorkshire. Um, and uh, the way things it looked like, we were, you know, we were going to invest more money, buy more better players and, you know, 
stay in that sort of region. And little did I know it went the other way. So, Mate, I, I know when I got to Milan, uh, they said to me, I can't believe your big mate didn't want to come to Milan when I got there. But the pre-season and the way they prepared for the seasons, Dukes, would have suited you perfectly because we were never prepared except for January and onwards because that's when you won the Champions Leagues and all that. So Milan was always yeah. prepared from January onwards. Would have been perfect for you. Yeah, yeah, probably. Uh, the thing is, you know what? I think uh, it was. The, I liked the actual. Uh, also, in the UK, I preferred the thing of where um, you know they used to go into uh, quarantine before games. You know, like weeks at a time, and I hated that. I did that in Croatia, and they'd be like before three, four games before a game, the days before a game, you'd be in a hotel for some reason. I don't know. I don't know the reason. Whereas, whereas in England, they sort of let you do, you know, be home with your family as much as you, you could. And uh, to be honest, I felt better that way. I didn't like, you know, being in hotels for like a week before a game. You know, at the end, you're, you're pulling your hair out. Your time at Leeds, Mark, didn't end particularly well. As you mentioned, uh, the club were relegated, uh, financial issues. Um, I think you were also sent off in your, your final appearance as well against Bolton, although you, you typically you scored. Um, <clears throat> you signed for, for Middlesbrough in 2004, a, a club with whom you, you played in the UEFA Cup final. Um, you got to the FA Cup semis. Um, what are your memories of, of your time with, with Middlesbrough? People don't tend to... Rib- associate you with Middlesbrough in some way and yet you played in the away for cup final for the club yeah 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 it is it's a funny thing that I mean we 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 had a really good squad as well at Middlesbrough lovely bunch of lads and not just not just the you know the players the whole the whole surrounding there was it was a nice surrounding um we had uh, Steve McLaren at the time who you know had a lot of experience coming from Man U and uh I think we sort of uh, were a bunch of, uh, there was a lot of older players, you know, over over 25, you know, between 25 and 30 and even older than that, who had a lot of experience and, and you know, won a lot of things. I mean, we had, uh, Mendieta was there, there was um, Reisiger from Barcelona, um, there was... Um, was Jakubu uh, there, Dukes? Was he your strike partner? Yak was, was there, yeah, yeah, Yak was there as well. Um, we, we had George Botang, Gareth Southgate, Schwartzy was there, Hugo Ekiog. Uh, um, good players. We had a we had a good bunch of good bunch of guys and players who were sort of sort of towards the end of their not end but like you know in the thirties sort of area and it was a really good 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 environment. I, I really enjoyed it, you know. And um, you know we we got to the we got to the quarter for over the final the final of the what is it called the UEFA Cup you know that, that's a that's for, for a club like Middlesbrough that's a huge thing for any club really you know yeah uh, but uh, you know on the day Sevilla was was a lot better I read that uh, it took you four months to get over that loss to Sevilla in the final is that is that true yeah, I was gutted. I was gutted. I thought, you know, considering the the, the two the two um, uh, the games before that, I thought this this is you know God is on our side. You know that we were going to go through it, and uh, because we, we the two games before that, it was like unbelievable comebacks to, to win the games. You know, we you know we were losing two three nil over over whatever aggregate and all that and came and scored four goals or something like that. In two games we scored four goals in the in the semi final and the quarter final to get to the final. And I thought, you know, 
God is on our side. But uh, once we had, uh, once we had, uh, you know, once we got there, we realised, you know, that we were up against a really good team who, on the night, were, you know, they were better than us. Dukes, your final club was was Newcastle under Sam Allardyce. Uh, again, unfortunately, it ended in in relegation. Um, we didn't probably realise it at the time, but you were coming towards the end of, of your playing days. I remember reading, or you might have even told me, that you had the chance, I think, to join Fulham the season after. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. but you, you turned that down. What, what was the reason for that? Were you starting to, uh, to feel that your body wasn't perhaps, you know, still in the right uh, condition to play football or you just had enough of it mentally? What, what was the scenario? I think it was a bit of both. I think it was a bit of both. Um, I was, um, I was at the time when I was at Middlesbrough, the last two years, I had a lot of problems with my Achilles and anybody who's had any uh, Achilles problems knows that uh, it's very, very painful. Um, uh, And what I used to have to do before every game, I used to come earlier and have like a special warm up and all that. And I'd, I'd, uh, that'd be really painful at the start. And then, once I got into the to the warm up, when, once they warmed up, they were fine for the game. But then after the game, they will they'll be like that night they'd be sore as you know really really sore. And that I was doing that week in week out and training sessions and all that sort of stuff. So it started taking a toll on my on my Achilles. You know, once I got to Newcastle, that's what happened. You know, I was I was okay once I was at Middlesbrough and, I, and a few to, like I, at training I remember. I'd do a jump and it would just, it, the Achilles just outstretched. And for most of the time there, I was, I was uh, you know, the second season, I only played five games and that was the last five games at the end of the season. And, you know, uh, and I knew, I knew that uh, there was, there was situations, you know, you'd be there in front of, you know, a full stadium, 50,000 people and the ball would come across. And in my mind, I was there, you know, in my mind, you know, I'd done it a million times before that, and I knew that I could get the ball, and I, and just my body, <laughs> I'd miss it, you know, by like. Uh, but normally, I know it's mine. You know what I'm saying. So, and then I realised, I realised it was time to, you know, I di- I didn't want to hang around, and uh, how can you say I didn't want to hang around just for the sake of it. I thought, you know, uh, I'd rather I'd rather be I'd rather leave on a note of you know knowing that I can do, do my best on, on the pitch. Dukes, we, we just missed each other at Newcastle. I think I, I went back to, to Brisbane uh, when you come to, to Newcastle. Was it Shearer that was a coach when, when you were there? Shearer came in the last uh, couple of months. Yeah, yeah. Well, I obviously, months. But, again, well, I, but again, Newcastle was turmoil. It was in turmoil kind of when I was there as well yeah. because I went from Sooners to Rhoda. So then, to, to, so I played with Shearer, obviously, as a player, but you, you experienced him as a coach. What was your, your, I mean, my take on Alan Shearer was I actually thought he was a fantastic person. He was hard, but he was honest. And he, and he has, especially in the northeast in Newcastle, he has, he has this aura about him. What was he like as a manager? Yeah, yeah. I mean, he wasn't there for long, but I liked him. I really, I really did, you know. He came with Ian Dowie and they set up training sessions and all that sort of stuff. We were sort of towards the bottom. When, when... When he came, when he came in, I was injured. You know, I, I'd been injured for most of the season. You know, because yeah. I would cut, I'd, I'd, I'd go get back into training, and then get uh, my Achilles was stuffing me about uh, again, and uh, so I, I was there. I was like, I wasn't in training sessions, 
but I felt an energy from him. I felt he you know, really wanted the best for the club and for the for the players. I think he was. I, I thought I found him a straight talker. You know what I mean? Yeah. An yeah, old-fashioned type of a player. You know, uh, and coach. And I really enjoyed. You know his. You know his presence around the place and and uh, you know his training sessions. You know it would be it would have been good to see if he. You know that situation he was in there was a. You know it could have went e- either way. Yeah. Um, but. You know, it would have been good to see, you know, if he kept coaching somewhere else or something like that. But I, as, a, as a bloke, I, I liked him. Mark, you might have sort of half answered this already because of your Achilles problems. But uh, after you'd, you left Newcastle, uh, there was a bit of a sort of a, a void where we didn't know whether you were going to continue playing or not. You never actually formally announced your retirement. I remember your wonderful quote, well, I never announced when I started playing, so why should I announce when I was retiring? Uh, but before all that happened, there was uh, you know, a lot of speculation that you might come back and play in the A-League. Was there ever a formal approach? And, and did you consider it, asks Ivan Hasemovic via Twitter? Yeah, yeah. I, I was approached by um, Melbourne Hart at the time when I came back. Um, but as you know, as I said before, the second part of to that thing, not the physical side of things, the the mental side. I, I'd had enough of it, you know. I'd had enough of it, you know. When you're when you live that sort of intense lifestyle for for that many years, and you're under constant pressure, you know, uh, week in week out, <clears throat> it takes a toll on you. I think, you know, it depends. Some people like that sort of lifestyle. Some people don't. I'm the type who sort of. I like my privacy, you know, I like to keep my things private and, and you know, obviously the, the uh, you, know, you know, family side of things and, and whatever. And after a while it started, uh, you know, taking its toll. And I, th- and I thought, you know, mentally I, I really wasn't up for it anymore, you know. And once, once that gets in you, once, once, you know, like I had the attitude of at that stage, I thought, you know, I'd look at a ball and I'd think, you know, have it. I don't want to fight for it anymore, you know. Yeah, and yeah. once you get once once you get to that, I mean, it, it's finished because because uh, uh, primarily football is uh, it's a fight. Number one is a fight, you know, because you've got to battle every week. You've got to battle against your the one the the as a team battle, and secondly, you've got to battle against the guy who's marking you or or you're marking or whatever. And if you don't have that competitiveness in you, you might as well throw it away. Mm. 100%. Mark, th- this is an interesting uh, question, and it sort of leads on from what you just said. You were quiet for a long time after you finished playing. Uh, Arto Harkinen has asked this question. It's our question of the week. Uh, congratulations, Arto. $100 meal voucher for Outback Steakhouse coming your way. Uh, given how active you've been recently in public to try and improve football, particularly in Australia, in contrast to the silence for the majority of time since retiring. What's the biggest motivation for you speaking up now and, and why not earlier? Well, I think it was, uh, there was an interview that I did, uh, uh, you know, look, football was my life. I loved it for all my life and whatever it is, you know, maybe I, I'm, I don't have that same sort of passion like I did, you know, when I was a kid and growing up, but it's still, you know, it's, it's a huge part of me and, and, and so is Australian football. And I, and I don't, you know, I don't want to see it in a situation, just looking from the side and speaking to a lot of people over the years, it's been neglected for a long time in Australia. Not, I'm not talking about the, the A-League, 
the A-League was set up, but the, the side of things where, you know, the, gru- the, the ground, the grassroots and stuff like that has been neglected for, for that many years. And, uh, uh, and, also, and also the fact that they have a lot of players like ourselves, whatever here, who have a lot of experience at the highest level and know what it takes, you know, they know how it's run overseas. And for many years, they've been ignored and pushed to the side for some reason. Now, whether that reason is because people are insecure about their own positions in the, you know, in the governing bodies or whatever. My dog keeps barking here. I don't know what's going on. What's the dog's name, Dix? Coco. Coco. He never barks. He just, when I'm bloody on the iPod or whatever, podcast, then he barks. Uh, I was going to say, yeah, for many years, uh, you know, uh, I feel that it's been neglected in a, in a long way and it's been probably run the wrong way, especially, especially the way that um, the youngsters have been brought up and, you know, and the, you know the, that whole sort of junior system and, and going forward. And, and, and a lot of the old, uh, old NSL clubs who have huge traditions, um, I think they've been uh, neglected for, for many years. So, you know, I took that opportunity. I'm, I'm not one now who, you know, go who's every week on things, but I took that opportunity to, you know, say my point of view. Dukes, just, just to follow up a little bit on that, I mean, not so much talking about the Australian development system, but the Croatian system, which you know a lot about. Um, we, we've spoken about that in terms of that continual conveyor belt of talent that they seem to produce. Yeah. Um, it, can you explain a little bit as to why that is the case? Well, I think, uh, I think that, uh, first of all, genetically, this part of the world is very good at ball games, whatever, that, whatever it is, whether that's basketball, football, they've got some sort of a thing in their genes which, you know, contributes to that. But um, secondly, I think the system is an old-fashioned system which is basically... Uh, the best players play, you know? And I know it's a harsh system in Australia. People don't, don't believe in that sort of stuff. They think, you know, uh, you know, I think we have to separate in Australia, uh, you know, community sport and trying to get the best player, make the best players, develop the best players. And in the developing the best players side of things, it has to be the best versus the best and the best players play and basically that's it and that's how it is here there's no there's no uh you know everybody knows that everybody knows that so what they do is they the, all the, the best players are filtered out yeah but not only the best players dukes but how important because of that it's a little bit brutal if we're being honest but so therefore is, yeah. the, the, the kids coming through have a fantastic mentality and therefore are able to adapt to, to other environments yes Exactly, exactly. And one of the things uh, that, you know, growing up in Australia, we didn't experience that much is the negative side of football. You know, for me, as a footballer, as an ex-footballer, uh, the most important part of being a footballer is your mental toughness. You know, you can have all the skills uh, in the world, but if you can't produce on the weekend, you know, it means nothing. You know, we, yeah. and we've all seen unbelievable players who are, you know, training and all that are unbelievable. And then in, when it comes to the game, they, they, they can't do it, you know. So mental toughness. Now, here, it's, 
I think the whole system's like that, even which I disagree with in schooling, but in, in the sport, it's like that. It's just, you know, brutal. You know, a lot of the coaches are very demanding on the kids and, uh, you know, and they go through this mental preparation for, for a lot of it, you know? And so they're used to being bagged all the time. They're used to being booed. They used to, you know, it's not, it's, it's, that's how it is in, in football and in life in general. If you don't get mm. through that, you've seen that in, you've seen, uh, 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 let me ask you a question, both of you. How hard is it, right, when you've had three or four bad games, right, and you're playing in front of your home crowd, 50,000 people or whatever, 20, 30, 40,000 people, how hard is that when, when, when the ball comes to you? You're As begging not to make a mistake. You just want to make the right decision the first time. If you don't make the right decision the first time, it just you become more anxious and more anxious. So a mental, mental part of the game is huge. And I agree with what you say, Duke. So I think the young kids in Australia aren't mentally challenged by our system. And the best players should play. How, uh, 100%. How novel. Yes. Um, Dukes, we could, we could talk about uh, that particular issue for a long time, but I, I want to finish you off by uh, touching on your international career with the, with the Socceroos, and, and in particular to start off with uh, that night against Uruguay after so many near misses. Um, finally, the national team gets through. Uh, I remember your interview afterwards, and you looked up to the heavens and just said, Thank God, it's, it's happened. It was almost like a relief for everybody. But uh, the, the question somebody has asked us on Twitter from a guy called The Real Death Stare, which is an interesting uh, Twitter handle. Um, he wants to know, did you think you'd blown the Socceroos chances when you missed your penalty in the shootout? I think you actually missed 24 hours prior as well. Graham Arnold told me that. You practiced yeah, penalties at that end. Is that right? Well. Yeah, yeah, it was like that. Spider was in goals. Yeah. Now, when Spider's in goals, the goal looks very, very small in front of you, right? <laughs> so you might remember all those years, Sydney Croatia against Melbourne Knights at the Croatian Sports Centre. I saved yeah. your penalty there as well, son. <laughs> yeah. Chuck that little dig in as well, won't you? <laughs> that was a long time ago. A long time yeah, ago. I remember that as well. Now, uh, well, you know what? When things like that happen... When you go out onto the pitch at the start of every game, you don't know what's going to happen. I, I mean, obviously, that that was a special game, you know, the way that it went to extra time and all that sort of penalties and things like that. And, you know, I've had a lot of penalties before that I've taken, you know, heaps of penalties before that and scored them, you know, for Celtic, for Leeds, for whatever, when I was youngster and all that sort of stuff. And that time I missed, you know. And, and to be honest, at that moment... I don't think there's you, you, there's no time to think. You know, you're in a, you're you're in front of you know I don't know eighty thousand people and all that sort of stuff. Everything and nothing goes through your head, to be honest. You know, when you miss something like that. You know, thankfully at the end of the day, at the end of the game, uh, you know, Schwartz he made the saves and you know Johnny scored the the winning penalty and and we went through and. Uh, Obviously, if we didn't go through, it would have been shocking. Even even though I missed, the, I was gutted for months after that because I missed the penalty. I'm still gutted today about it. Those are things that never get out of your system. You know what I mean? As a footballer, I reckon Diggers Diggers gutted probably about a tackle he probably did. Uh, you know, for Rangers that he that he missed or made a penalty. To this day, when he's when he thinks about it, he, he doesn't like it. You know what I mean? I'm sure that. that 
Oh, not to something. Some things do stay with you, Dukes. Yeah, uh, in terms of those some those kinds of moments. Some, some things uh, do, you know. Because you that's, also that's, leave, that's how it is. You live through all these things. People, people, yeah. people think that you know. You, you know, there's a lot of you know footballers get a lot of praise, but they get a lot of stick as well for you know not wanting to play for the for the badge yeah. and doing all that sort of stuff. I I don't know any player that goes not not many anyway. I've seen maybe a few in certain situations, but first of all, you look like an idiot if you if you don't want to play out yeah, there. Yeah. And secondly, uh, secondly, you know, anybody to get to that level of football, every yeah. week has to give his best. You know, I mean, it's not, it, it's, it's, it's something. You know, yeah. What did you want to say? But no, you ended up making a decision, Dukes. Because remember, we played the pre—not pre-season. We played the pre-World Cup game against Holland. You also took a penalty uh, in yeah. that game. I think you we you missed it, but we scored. I think on the but follow-up. Timmy was scored, one, yeah, Timmy scored. One, one. By the way, we were chasing chasing the ball for, for fun that game. <laughs> yeah, that was good. Though, <laughs> Holland weren't bad, but you made a decision um, after that game not to not to stand up for the national team and take penalties. Yeah. Path. I don't know if I made a decision, but I don't know. I don't think we had any afterwards. That after that. Well, you did because Craig Moore scored one of the World Cup. For that one, for that one, yeah, yeah, that one. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, but I wasn't. I wasn't. Uh, I yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> he, led you, he just led you into that nicely, so he could just remind everyone that he scored the penalty in the World Cup. Oh, is that why? Is that why? Yeah. <laughs> That's right. That's right. It was too. Let, let's talk about that World Cup in two thousand six. Was that um, one of the proudest moments of your career, Mark, to, to lead the team out under Hus Hiddink, who'd, who'd played a bit of uh, good cop, bad cop with you, hadn't he? It sort of cajoled you into getting a bit fitter, and and that that was the stick. And then with with the carrot, he gave you the captain's armband. Yeah, I don't think I don't. You know, that was made a big deal out of that good cop, bad. Thing I don't think I don't think it was that you know you know sort of uh, at training and all that sort of stuff you know he would say a few times I've got to lose some weight and all that sort of stuff but I don't think it was that sort of serious you know and at the time at the time when um, you know when he was uh, decided I think Craig Moore was injured at the time when when he sort of decided that I would be were you, were you digger or something like that? I don't even remember. I was. I had uh, hamstring problems at Newcastle, and you know what the treatment was like That's there, right. unfortunately. Yeah, I know, I know that. <laughs> um, <laughs> let me tell you, mate, Goose hitting, mate, only had one thing and one player that mattered in that team, and it was Dookie. Dookie. Oh, that yeah, was his right. favourite Dookie, player, Dookie. mate. Don't Dookie. start with that again. <laughs> Uh, I don't think he knew anyone else's name, but Dookie. Dookie this and Dookie that. Come on, mate. Uh, well, uh, what do I say to that, mate? What do I say to that? <laughs> Mark, how did you find his, his regime? Because he was, I remember being in Mirlo ahead of the World Cup in 2006, where he, he put you all through a pretty brutal um, pre-World Cup, sort of mini pre-season, if you like. I remember at the end of one training session, you were, you were flat on your back and you stayed there for a good five or ten minutes. And literally, you were cooked. And I don't think you were the only player that, that sort of suffered under that regime. But he got you all so physically in the zone, didn't he, for, for that particular World Cup. He, he knew that you weren't necessarily going to be the best team in the tournament, but you were going to be one of the fittest, if not the fittest. Yeah, I mean, we had a really good training. 
I don't think I've been that fit ever, to be honest. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And and also doing the stuff that I love doing. You know, we all, we kept doing. It wasn't you know like he's giving us sprints every day, but we were doing you know short, small sided games. Then we go to larger games. Then we'd do shape and all that. And it was really enjoyable training as well. It wasn't just you know getting somebody fit for the sake of it. There's two ways of getting you fit. You can do it. Uh, you can try to get somebody fit, but mentally kill them. And then there's another way of getting them fit, but doing the stuff that they love doing, and they don't even realise that they're doing it in the session. Um, and that was that 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 whole sort of training camp up to there. We had we had so many good sessions. That was one of the most enjoyable uh, pre-season type of things I, I ever had, you know. And I felt really really fit and sharp. And he did he did get you know it was the high the intensity was always very high with Gus, you know. Uh, whatever sure we did. Uh, and and that's that's one of the things that got us physically fit. And not only that, it gave cohesion to all of us. The exercises he was doing was was designed to uh, to to get us working as a unit, but not working as a unit, thinking about it subconsciously as well. Uh, get us working as a unit. So, for example, if the ball went out to the left. There were, it wasn't confusion which player was going to go out there. One player knew that they were going to go out there, you know. And and he and in those situations, it takes away that split second of indecision, which can cost you in a game. Yeah, yeah. And that's what that's that's what for me was was the big difference with that. You know, everybody was 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 knew exactly what their job was when we had the ball, when we didn't have the ball, you know, when we were uh, attacking, when we were defending, whatever, you know, in certain areas. And that was that was a really enjoyable. The, the whole World Cup was an enjoyable uh, thing. Uh, what is it called? Uh, experience. Yeah. But that that whole that whole training before that was was. Uh, for me, it was first. It was first class, Dukes, wasn't it? Because I remember we used to do blocks of of seven minutes, and it was kind of yeah. Um, it was set to certain scenarios in a game, whether we're winning the game, yes. whether we're, whether we're drawing, whether we're chasing the game. Uh, it was yeah. so. Detailed and and one thing that Gus Hiddink uh, has, um, it, again, he had this aura and and this experience of I've been here, I've done it before. Exactly, and you know what you know what what impressed me the most about uh, Gus, I mean, what, was his team talks before games. You know, most people most people would think. Um, most people, you know, you watch all these things on TV and, you know, all these coaches and they're yelling and screaming and the passion and all that. What, what, what Goose was portraying before every game was calmness. Yep. You know, calmness and confidence. You know, and I remember before the Uruguay game and all the other games, I mean, you know, he would, I remember him saying, look, this is how we're going to play. We all know our jobs. Um, if they score a goal, so what? We can score another one. You know what I mean? So in, in mentally, he's already did that scenario of, you know, because when you go out, you, when you, before a game, you th everyone's thinking, oh, everyone's in a, in a yeah. thing saying, we can't concede, we can't concede, especially you guys, defenders, you know? Yeah, but he yeah. said, he, he sort of released that sort of uh, negative type of energy or whatever, that, that sort of, that fear, the fear, yeah. by saying, yeah. okay, we can cop a goal. We can, we can come two, back from that. We can come back from that. And yeah, that's, he that's believed the in the team. Exactly. He definitely, he definitely believed in the team. And I think uh, once he's seen the pre-season that we did leading into the World Cup, I think he believed even more after that. Yeah. Yeah. And look, in those tournaments, 
especially World Cups, you have to have a little bit of luck. Yeah. You know, you have to have a little bit of luck. And that's, you look at even with, with Croatia played the last in the last World Cup, you know, they, they didn't play the best. Even Italy, they gave the, when we, when we when in, our, in our World Cup 2006, they weren't playing the best football, but they were getting through games. They weren't losing games. And they had a little bit of luck in, in the end, you know. And, and that's what it is. You know, if, if, if maybe if we had a little bit of more, more luck, things could, have been, things could have been differently. Because, you know, even the game against Croatia, I thought we outrun, out, outran Croatia, you know, at times. Mm. We were unlucky. You know, obviously the first goal, the, the second goal, whatever. Yeah. You know, I think it was. I think, uh, to be honest, in that Croatia game, I think they had they had more luck, and we were sort of more dominant. I thought, you know. And you you should have had a couple of penalties that night, uh, Dukes. Yeah, you, you had quite yeah. a battle and with Joe Exactly, <laughs> and that's the thing. You know, in another day, that would have been an, a penalty for us. In another yeah. day. Yeah, you know, yeah. there was the handball as well. That uh, there was two handballs. Yeah. yeah, that's a good, good, good mate of mine who did that, Stephen Thomas. Uh, w- the thing is that uh, you know, and then there was the three, three yellow card things. I mean, how's your luck, really? <laughs> was it, Dukes you know, what, was... what would have happened? That's a good question. I'll ask you a question. My podcast question. Listen, am I going to get an outback steak? Am I going to get an outback steak from a hundred bucks or what? <laughs> I'm 100%. sure that could be arranged. 100% Sorry. Dukes, I'll, t- I'll talk to the owner, mate. <laughs> it's got to be a good question first, though, Dukes. Come on. <laughs> the question is, what would have happened? What would have happened if we had lost that game? Well, you'd have been out. <laughs> yeah, but out. But then he's... So the referee has given this guy, mm. uh, instead of send a red... Uh, what is it called? A red card. He's, yeah. he's not sent him off. That's a yeah. huge advantage to them. Hmm. And that was like, what, how many, 20 minutes to go or something like that? Were, were you having uh, conversations with Joe Simonich about that? Joe Simonich comes to my cafe over here. Yeah, we talk, we really so you still about talk that. about it? Yeah, 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 he lives here around the corner. <laughs> um, we, we just finished off with a question about uh, the, the Asian Cup, Dukes. Um, you, you did play at the 2007 Asian Cup. I think you know this question is probably coming as well. There, there was an infamous interview with, with Graham Arnold who uh, said to our Fox Sports reporter at the time, Murray Shaw, that the players don't want to be here. Now, you did the follow-up interview and seemed a little bit incredulous when Murray asked you <laughs> for your th- uh, thoughts on that uh, particular statement. You said, he said, what? Um, so Ivan Stragan asks via Twitter, what is the truth about that uh, situation and, and whether Arnie lost the dressing room at that tournament? Well, look, uh, at that, at that, uh, when that, when that interview happened, I was like surprised and I'm, I didn't know what, to be honest, it was live in Australia and whatever. And, I didn't know what to say. The guy asked me the question and I thought, you know, what do I say to what he's just said to me? You know, there's people who don't want it. Whether he was referring to me, whether he was referring to different players and all that sort of stuff. I don't even remember what, what, I, what my answer was at the time. But I said it in that last interview. I said Arnie made a big mistake by, uh, by promising five people the captaincy or whatever, three, four. I don't know how many it was. And... Uh, and then in the end, he didn't know what to do when, 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 because he thought I wasn't going to come. And when I came, he didn't know what to do. And he sort of maybe, he played that one a little bit, you know. As I said, he was at the start of his career at the time and, and maybe wasn't he that experienced. In, 
he got it wrong. Exactly. He, got, he got it wrong at that time, mate. He's you know we all live and learn and and move exactly. on, mate. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And I, I don't, you know, I don't know what I would have done. You know, I probably, uh, you know, at that time, if I had done that, I would have, I, I really don't know what I would have done. But for me, as I said, I said to Craig a lot of times, uh, it wasn't the most important thing for me to be a captain. There's players who all they dream about is being captain. For me as a, as a player, it was more of a burden than something that was, you know, whether it was a, for a team or whatever. It was more of a burden than some sort of a thing because I just wanted to think about doing my job. You know, I didn't want to think about, you know, what time's the meeting tomorrow or you know, <laughs> lunch. Does, hey, don't, does, don't we all know that? <laughs> <laughs> that was the last uh, thing on your mind. Did, didn't you just exactly. have Yossi, Didn't you just have Josip Skoko to tell you when lunch was and uh, and training and everything? I tell you, if it wasn't for him, I would have slipped in for most of them. To be honest. <laughs> Mate, it, if it wasn't for Skokes, we would have played with 10 players every time. Skokes <laughs> <laughs> would have missed the time. Oh, brilliant. I was just, I was just telling, actually, we, I had a chat to Craig the other day. I was telling him that I, I, I was um, in a Champions League game for Leeds one time. I was in the toilet for the half time, and the, the game started, and I was still in the toilet, you know? <laughs> everyone, every, everyone went out. Everyone out. Uh, what's it called? And I, and, and I couldn't hear anybody in the, t and I was in the toilet, I, I couldn't hear anybody outside. And I come out, everybody's gone and the game's already started. So I just ran on. I didn't, didn't know what to do. Dix, we're, we're coming towards uh, the end of our chat. Um, we should let you go in a couple of minutes. Just a couple more questions. Um, first of all, we, we know you're involved with the starting 11 now with, with the FFA. Um, is... Is that going well? And, and do you have future plans to be involved with football in Australia, either as a, I don't know, if you're interested in coaching or uh, coming back doing other stuff? Um, what, what are your future plans? Or are you quite happy serving, uh, serving coffees when COVID permits, of course, over there in Croatia? Yeah, you know, it sounds good, right? It's a good story that, you know, me standing behind uh, the bar do, dry, putting coffees. But really all I do is drink them, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I do, you know. And in that interview, I did. I made one, one, one coffee just for the sake of it, whatever. But really, I don't even do that. So, I'm just uh, enjoying life at the at the moment. With when it when it comes to starting eleven, or is it starting eleven? Is yeah. it eleven? Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. there's more more people than eleven. That's for sure. There's probably about sixty people. <laughs> You know, uh, when, uh, look, I think it's a good initiative and all that. It's very, it's difficult for me to, uh, to be sort of involved full on with that because it's different time zones. It's, it's different. Uh, and, and I don't know the, I don't know the ins and outs at the moment, you know, but whatever I, can contribute I'll, I'll contribute you know i don't have to you know i've got no financial gain out of that or anything like that it's just you know more goodwill thing to try to help out the you know the same as the the boys you know from the golden generation and all that sort of stuff so um when it comes to coaching and all that for me as i said i wanted to you know spend a lot of time with my family with my boys they're growing up you know they're going to come to an age where you know that they you know they don't want to hang out with me that much. So then I'll, then we'll see, maybe I'll go back into football. Maybe I won't, you know, okay. but being in football is a, it's a, it's a hundred percent or nothing. You know, it's not, yeah. you, you can't do it half heartedly. 
You're right. And the final question is from Valandi on Twitter, and it's the most important one. Macchiato or ristretto? I actually drink a cortado. <clears throat> I don't know if you've heard Ooh. of that. What's a cortado? It's a Spanish. It's in between a... a uh, well, it's in between a macchiato and a latte. So okay. it's a little bit more milk than a... It's a Spanish one, and it's in a, like a little glass thing. So it's a flat white in a fancy glass. <laughs> yeah, you know, you've got to fancy it up a bit. <laughs> Dukes, I've got to ask you the big question, mate. Oh, I, here we I, go. I, this is Spider's weekly is question. So, <laughs> mate, you've played at the best stadiums in the world, right? So we want to know what's your favourite stadium you've played at. But the one the fans always want to know is the biggest dungeon that you've played at. Hey, you know what, Spider? When you've asked me that question, let me tell you something, all right? Your old home ground was one of the worst dunnies I've ever seen in my life. It had one of those, I swear to God, the San Siro, the worst toilets. They had those ones, you know, those, what are those? You had the chuchnik, you, know, you had the stand. Yeah, the chuchnik in Croatia. I had the away oh dressing room was terrible at you the San Siro. You know what, when we played you guys uh, in the Champions League with Leeds, I looked at this tour and I thought, I can't believe Mark Van Basten had to do a, do a number <laughs> two in this. Dukes, the home dressing rooms weren't like that, mate. I remember playing against them as well. I said, oh, mate, this ain't possible. God. Home dressing rooms had gold toilets, Dukes. <laughs> oh, Which you would have enjoyed yeah, if you'd have signed for them. <laughs> That was shocking, by the way. So the San Siro is the worst. What was the best stadium, dude? No, no, no. It, no, it's a good stadium, but the toilets are shit. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> What's the best stadium you played at? Oh, gee, best stadium. The San Siro, except for the toilets. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. No, I would say, I would say that. Um, one of the most impressive ones for me was the one in the, the one in Munich. Allianz. The new one, Allianz. Allianz. Allianz, yeah. That was a, one of the most impressive ones, you know? Yeah, terrific stuff. Oh, your biggest yeah. dungeon, Dukes, without the toilets. In, in all of them you're talking about. I'll tell yeah. you what, in Croatia, there was some very bad ones here. I, there was some I, I thought it had to be Croatia or Scotland. One of those two yeah. had to come up with the dungeon. Scotland wasn't too bad. Scotland wasn't too bad. Um, I don't know. You know what I can? You know what I'll say? The Morwell Falcons. <laughs> That's not bad, Dukes. That's All those years the ago. Archives. That's one. You remember that archives. one? <laughs> yeah. Well, give them a mention. Yeah. Brilliant. Thank Hey, uh, Dukes, we're going to let you go, mates. We we kept you uh, over an hour. Thanks so much for your time. Uh, we really appreciate it. Uh, it's great to see your face and, and hear your voice. And uh, hopefully we'll, we'll see uh, a bit more of you over the coming months and years. It's been uh, wonderful to chat. Thanks so much, mate. No worries, Dukes, bro. Cheers, mate. Great catching up. Thanks, Dukes. Great to see you. That's Mark Viduka. And that is us for another week. Join us again next week for another edition of Shim, Spider and so much more. We'll see you then.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.